1: new
2: Romans 13 is after the law and the Apostle Paul in the church age said this if I then am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death I do not refuse to die he said if I've done something worthy of death he said then I I want to die well Paul didn't do anything worthy of death and he died anyway the point being that capital punishment is still for today. That That's God's plan, even if the government doesn't recognize that.
1: God values human life. He determined that murder is so serious a crime, it needs a severe punishment, namely, the death of the murderer. But this is not to be taken lightly. There should be some kind of a safeguard, something or someone who can ensure that people are not killed for a crime they did not commit. God established government to be that safeguard. It has the authority to take life so that in the end it can preserve life. We welcome you once again to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is explaining the proper Christian view of human government. You may want to follow along in your Bible in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5 as we join this sermon already in progress.
2: So we submit to the government because God has established it. Secondly, because to resist government is to resist God. There's a third reason. To resist human government will result in punishment. The end of verse 2 says this, And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. In the authorized version, it says judgment. This doesn't mean that if you disobey a law, you're going to go to hell. That's not not what Paul is speaking about. What it does mean is if you disobey the law, then God will punish you through the government. If you disobey, God's going going to punish you through the government. You see, the function of government is to punish evildoers. That is one function of government, the very primary function of government. Government basically is to do two things. It is to protect... Those who obey, and it is to punish those who disobey. If you understand that, you'll understand the function of government. Think back with me to the early days of mankind in the book of Genesis. Remember we said just a few minutes ago that until the day of of Noah, there was no human government? What happened when there was no human government? Because there are people who cry and say, there ought to be no government at all. People can take care of themselves, can they? Let's find out in Genesis chapter 6. Know what God says about that? God gave man a time to prove that, and man blew it. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. No human government. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. When man did not have a human restraint upon him, all he wanted to do was evil. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. Not only did he want to do evil, he did evil, and he did violent evil things. Verse 12. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And the result was the flood. God said, I'm going to wipe them all out, except Noah and his family. But after the flood, God instituted human government, civil government. Why? Well, if you look over, as we said, Genesis 9, to punish evildoers. 9-6, whoever, he says in verse 5, and surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. What he's saying is, from now on, There's going to be restraint. If somebody murders someone, Noah, you have authority to execute them. Now, it has to be assumed that if a human government can punish murderers, it can punish lesser crimes too. And so God doesn't have to explain that you understand, Noah, you can do anything. I mean, if if you can punish and execute murderers, you have the authority to handle lesser crimes too. So government exists to punish evildoers. And in Noah's case, what he said, in the record says the evil-doing of murder, because men and women are made in the image of God. Government exists to punish evildoers. It also exists to do good to good citizens. Look in, in Romans chapter 13 again. It says this: verse three: "For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil." Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. Now, I, I don't think this means that a police officer is going to pull you off the side of the road if you're if you're obeying the law and going to just tell you what a nice job you're doing. I don't I think that's the intent of this. But it means when the government uh, sees citizens and, are, and is aware of citizens who honor the government and really go out of their way to obey with the spirit of respect, and so there are incidents where... The government honors people for good citizenship. There are many illustrations of that. But government exists for two reasons. He says in verse 3, they're a cause of fear for those who do evil. Not for those who do good. They honor those who do good. But if you don't do good and you do evil, then you ought to be afraid. In fact, the word for fear, the Greek word is phobos, from which we get phobia. Government ought to put terror into the hearts of men and women if they disobey. That's right. They ought to do that. Human government is intended to put terror and fear in the hearts of evildoers. Government stands in the place of God and acts as his instrument to punish those who break the law. Now, we may not agree with a government's perspective of what is evil. Keep that in mind. But, but every government I know know of, and I'm not an, certainly not an expert on all the governments in the world, but all the governments that I know of have the intent of punishing what they believe to be evil. Now, like I said, they may not have the same perspective of what's evil that we do. But every government, whether you agree with it politically or not, wants to punish evildoers and praise those who do good. Let me give you an example. Rome punished Paul. Was Paul an evildoer? No. Did they think he was an evildoer? Yes. They did what they thought was right. They thought he was evil. Communist countries punish those who they think are evil. In fact, in governments that we would have uh, political problems with, I I say this, and it's very sad, but uh, they probably, not probably, they do a better job of punishing those who they consider evildoers than our own country. Let me put it this way. It is probably safer tonight to walk on the streets of a communist country than it is to walk on the streets of Miami Beach. So even in those countries where we don't agree with them politically, they're they're doing a better job than we are in punishing evildoers. And you see, punishing evildoers, quite frankly, in our country, it's become a foreign thing in our thinking because the American criminal justice system often thinks its job is to correct and reform lawbreakers rather than punish them. I want to quote from Judge Randall Heckman of the Kent County... Uh, in Kent County in Michigan, he said this, "'America's criminal justice system "'is experiencing an identity crisis. "'Traditionally, officers of the law knew "'they were expected to punish criminals.' No one apologized for this, but at the turn of the century, judicial leaders began to suggest that punishment for punishment's sake was an unscientific and indefensible concept. Instead, they argued society should attack the sources of crime, which they reasoned to be a combination of environment and heredity. If society could re-educate or rehabilitate offenders, they said it could eventually eliminate crime. Consequently, vast amounts of public funds have been spent on correctional institutions and programs Designed to cure society of crime. The result? Crime has skyrocketed. Sure, many people go to prison and learn to be better criminals. They also get attacked uh, in there, they get raped in there, they get harmed, and they they come out being experts on on crime. Uh, I I found out this week, it's very interesting, actually the other week I found out in doing some research where the whole criminal uh, prison and jail system came in our country. When our country was started the Puritans uh, really punished people. In fact, that's why if you go to certain uh, parts of the country, you can still see models of how they put people in stocks. You know, they, they put them in there, and you say, oh, that's terrible. It really curbed crime. I mean, after you were there once, you didn't want to be in there again. In fact, the Puritans would banish people, they would exile them, and if necessary, if the crime was so severe, they would actually uh, kill people. They would, they would use capital punishment. But in the, uh, in the late 1700s, the Quakers came up with the idea of, of having a prison. In fact, uh, the reason they did this, and, and their motives, I'm sure, were good, because they were a nonviolent people, and they didn't want anyone to suffer physical punishment. What they did, the offender, was held in solitary confinement with only a Bible so that he might learn, they said, to be penitent. Actually, what resulted, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, they went insane. Because, because it, uh, it is more cruel in many cases to imprison somebody than it is to just punish them and get it over with. And so we have to understand what the Bible has to say about this. The the God's intention for a government is to punish evildoers, not reform them. Not correct them in that sense. And the place we can see that Deuteronomy 25 refers to this. In Deuteronomy 25... Verses 2 and 3, actually let's start at verse 1. This is under the law, but you see the same principle there. If there is a dispute between men and they go to court and the judges decide their case and they justify the righteous and condemn the wicked, then it shall be if the wicked man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall then make him lie down and be beaten in his presence with the number of stripes according to his guilt. He may beat him 40 times, but no more, lest he beat him with many more stripes than these... And your brother be degraded in your eyes. I mean, God wasn't asking for blood in the sense of, uh, give it to him, get him. Get, no, just whatever's fair. And we looked at this the other, the other week, where the Old Testament says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was speaking not of personal vengeance, but of the civil authorities being able to do that. You plucked out someone's eye, you get your eye plucked out. Now, an accident is one thing, but malicious intent is another thing. What is God after? God is after justice. Now, to deter and to, to, to discourage people from doing the crime, but I think the primary point of government is to punish evildoers. That will have a, a kind of a domino effect. Well, it will, it will restrict people from doing crime after that. In fact, Ecclesiastes 8.11 says this, and I'm just paraphrasing it here. When people don't see crimes punished quickly, they are encouraged to break the law. You ought to read that in Ecclesiastes 8.11. Modern man tends to think, at least in our country, we tend to think of criminals as being sick rather than guilty. And therefore, we see them as need of of therapy rather than punishment. There are some correctional institutions, quite frankly, I remember visiting one that I couldn't tell the difference between that and a college campus, except they couldn't get out of that one. They had to stay in there. It's great. In fact, I was told by one of the inmates that some people don't want to get out of here. They have no other place to go. They're fed meals. They do exercise. The person that I visited in there had never been in better shape. Physically, he was eating well. He was off of, of the things that he had been on that got him in there in the first place and all the other things attached to it. He's in great shape. He looked better than I've ever seen him look. Our nation has the highest crime rate in the Western world. Maybe it tells us something. Not maybe, it does. If you resist the government by breaking the law, you should be punished. And you should have a terror for that. Remember Romans 12, 19, it says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. If someone wrongs you, don't seek revenge. Just remember that God is the avenger. One of the ways he avenges, not the only way, is through government. government when government punishes you, that's God's way of punishing you. In fact, that's what verse 4 says. So let's look at that. For it is or he, meaning the government, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God. Now watch this, just like Romans 12:19, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. The agents of wrath is the government. The government is a servant of God. Do you realize the government is God's, our government officials are God's deacons? That's the word here, diakonon. It's translated ministers, but it means deacons. They are his deacons. They may not know him personally, but they still serve him. Notice verse 4 says that they are ministers of God to thee for good. That is that government protects us from evil. Government is good. Government protects us from evil. Now, understand, we're not talking about the policies of the government, just the function, not the political beliefs, just the function. It's good. In Paul's life, it was good. When Paul was in danger of his life, the Jews were about to kill him. You know what he said? Great words. I appeal to Caesar. They said, you appeal to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. I'm sure Paul would have reiterated, government is good, protects people. Paul, in Acts chapter 19, he's at Ephesus. The town uh, clerk receives word that there's a mob. They're about to, to kill the apostle Paul. And the town clerk, who was a leader there, helped Paul and got him away from that mob and controlled a riot. Government functioned, in Paul's case, in a good way. So government officials serve God by protecting you from evil. But if you do evil, their job is to punish you their job is to punish you. They are agents of wrath and vengeance. It says in verse 4 that God gives government the right to bear the sword. It says they do not bear the sword for nothing. They don't do it in vain. You know what that means? God has given government the right to inflict capital punishment, punishment by death. The sword in the Bible is a symbol of the civil authorities' power, uh, uh, civil authorities' power to put people to death. The sword speaks of that, because when they would put someone to death, they didn't have things like the electric chair. They decapitated someone. They cut their head off with big sword. Now, the sword here is not necessarily that big sword that they cut their heads off with, but the sword here is the sword that was worn at their sides in public processions. And the governors would wear those swords at their sides. And you know what everyone understood when they came down the procession, and the parade with that sword? They understood that it was an emblem of the government's absolute authority, even the authority to put people to death. Maximum authority to put people to death, but it also meant lesser crimes as well. In fact, we, uh, we understand that the Emperor Trajan once presented a sword to a young governor, a governor just starting out his service. You know what it said? He had, he had these words inscribed on it. For me, period. Just said, for me, if I deserve it, in me. For me, if I deserve it, in me. Yes, the Bible teaches capital punishment. I, uh, I was listening to, I think it's called uh, Nightline, it caught my attention when the governor of New Mexico said that to to kill people, to commit capital punishment, have that carried out, he said, is immoral. And I believe he used words like it's anti-God. But it's not. The Bible says that since life is so sacred, if you take life, it ought to be taken. Some say, well, wasn't it done away under the Old Testament law? Well, Genesis 9 is before the Old Testament law. God gave that authority to human government, period, with, with Noah. It's before the law. Romans 13 is after the law. And the apostle Paul, in the church age, said, and this is great to, to understand, in, in uh, Acts 25, 11, he said this, If I then am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. He said, If I've done something worthy of death... He said, then I, I want to die. Well, Paul didn't do anything worthy of death, and he died anyway. The point being that capital punishment is still for today. That, that's God's plan, even if the government doesn't recognize that. So why do we submit to the government? Number one, God established it. Number two, to resist government is to resist God. Number three, to resist it brings punishment from God through his servants. But there is a fourth reason, and for us, this perhaps is the most important reason. Not hard to understand be very brief to the point. It is right to submit to the government. Say what else? Just it's right to do that. Christian ought to do that. Look at verse 5. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but for conscience' sake. In other words, we don't obey the government only because we fear being punished. That's one motivation. But we also obey because our conscience tells us that it is right to obey. Let me put it to you this way. There are two motives in, going, in not going beyond the speed limit. Two motives I have when I'm going down the highway in not going beyond the speed limit. Number one is getting a ticket. It's a valid motive. It's not the highest motive, but it's a valid motive. Number two, which is the highest motive and ought to be the motive of the priority for the Christian is because our conscience prods us to obey, do what's right regardless of whether a police officer is around. You see, we ought to obey when nobody is watching, for conscience' sake. We have a moral obligation to obey. First Peter 2.13 says, to be in subjection to every ordinance of man for what? The Lord's sake. Don't do it so that you don't get in trouble. For the Lord's sake. We are to submit to civil authorities because it honors the law. You say, well, is it wrong to have fear as a motive? No, it's right to have fear as a a motive. There just for the Christian ought to be a greater motive than that as well. It's a combination of motives. We obey because we fear. But we also obey, and we ought to be more committed to this principle than any other. It's because we want to honor Christ. Did the early church learn this lesson? Did the people that Paul wrote to learn this lesson? Absolutely. 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 We have on record Justin Martyr, who was a leader in the church in the 2nd century A.D. And when prompted by charges that Christians were rebels and insurrectionists, and that's what the church was accused of, he said this, and I quote, Everywhere, more readily than all men, endeavor, we endeavor to pay to those appointed by you the taxes, both ordinary and extraordinary, As we have been taught by Jesus, we worship only one God, but in other things we will gladly serve you, acknowledging your kings and rulers of men and praying that with your kindly or kingly power, you may be found to possess also sound judgment. You know what he was saying? We drive our chariots, the speed limit, we pay our taxes, we honor you, we pray for you, we do what's right. Did the early church learn this lesson? Yes, it did. And I, I want to call us back to the Word of God. We need to learn this lesson. We need to make sure we don't take our freedoms beyond what we have and think that we have a license to be disrespectful to the government. We don't. We don't have a license to be rude to people. We don't have a license to be arrogant. We're called to be in subjection to the civil authorities, for all of these reasons which ought to give weight and conviction, we ought to bend over backwards with attitudes towards, proper ones towards police officers, judges, anyone who the president, from the president on down, of a civil authority. We ought to respect them. We ought not to have names that the world has. We ought not to ever say anything and like call a police officer by a derogatory name. Television may... Do that the world may do that, but I call you back to romans twelve let 's not conform ourselves to the world system. The world want act like, wants to act like that that 's their business we don 't uh, we have a different standard so let 's let 's obey that let 's bow for prayer it 's very possible that in speaking about submission you don 't understand that salvation is submission if you are in attendance this morning without Christ as Savior, then understand that what you need to do is submit to the Savior. That's what salvation is all about. You submit to His authority. You come in repentance and faith, and you trust that He's died for your sins. And you are coming by coming to Him, you are willing to bow to His authority. Salvation is not just saying, Jesus come into my heart, Amen. No, it's it's trusting Him with the attitude of submission. Have you ever done that? Have you ever trusted Him? You can do that anytime, but I'd encourage you to do it now. Just call upon the Lord. Invite Him into your life with that attitude of turning things over to Him. And I want to encourage you to come up after the service to speak to myself, one of our people, to get some direction and guidance upon about that decision. If you know Christ... The word to you is from God is submit to the government for all these reasons. We dare not submit. We don't want to resist God. Father, we pray that you'll help our attitudes and help our responses to government be everything you want it to be. Lord, we don't want this to be just a sermon. We want it to be truth that grips our hearts. We want to be different, and it's so sad that that the evangelical church has been branded as, as people who make trouble rather than as people who support and respect and honor those in authority. Lord, help us. Those those of us committed to you, help us at Lakeside to be different, because that's the whole point. We don't want to conform to this world. We don't want to be like everybody else. Help us to be different, Lord, in a very practical and tangible way. Lord, draw those to yourself who don't know Christ, that today might be the day that they make a decision for him. For we pray this in his name.
1: Amen. God's truth is not always what we want to hear, but it is rather what we need to hear. Perhaps this current series from Romans 13 is challenging your own view of government. If you would like to talk to someone further about today's message, or if you would just like to know more about verse by verse, please give us a call at 727-239-0306. Can taxes be a good thing? Find out on the next verse by verse. This story is called The
0: Ugly Truth. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.